I want to begin our time this morning with a, with a series of questions. And the purpose of these questions is for me and I believe the Lord to appeal to you that this message this morning is for you. I'm going to ask you some questions to appeal to you this morning that this message is for your heart and for my heart. I'm not preaching this morning to the wall. I may be preaching to some really tired football fans, but, but not to a wall. Preaching to your heart and to my heart this morning. Here's several questions to help us get there. What exists in your life that keeps you from believing God's word? Now, when I ask this question, I don't mean as much in broad general terms as I do in particular promises. What keeps you from personally applying God's word in your life? You hear me? This is for everybody. What keeps you from personally applying the word of God in your life? For instance, you fear, yet God's word says that he's with you. You worry, yet God's word says that God is both sovereign and he's good. You doubt, yet the word of God says that God's promises are sure. You feel hopeless, yet the very gospel of Jesus brings hope now and forevermore. So what is it that exists in your life, whatever season you're in, whatever place you're in, what exists in your life that keeps you from applying God's promises in your everyday walk? Are there any hot button subjects or hurts that exist in your heart that keep you from the abundant life or the life of purpose that God has for you? Today with God's help, we need his help. Today with God's help, we will find encouragement to believe God at his word. Today with God's help, we will see ourselves, our struggles. We will see our greatest fears in the shadow of who God is and his power and his willingness to love and care for us as people. Today we will do this with God's help as we continue our journey through Genesis. Let's read together Genesis chapter 18, verse one through 15. This is the word of the Lord. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes, this is Abraham, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree 
while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the, into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, we need three measures of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good. And he gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and he set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. Look at verse 10. There's a change. It says the Lord. This is Yahweh speaking. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed, and listen, she laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Listen to this church. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. God, in a very, I think, sarcastic tone, says, no, but you did laugh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. May you take a story from so long ago in a place so far from Tuscaloosa. May you take this story, this text in Genesis 18, and may you Expose it to us by the power of your spirit for the glory of your son. May we believe it. May we be transformed as we study your word today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to give you a really long run on sentence. Is there any English teachers in the crowd today? Just ignore what we're about to do and just know this is for the Lord. All right, here we go. We have a really long sentence. It's going to help guide our time today. Look with me in your outline. Our sentence is this. God purposefully pursues his people with the seemingly impossible promise for his glory and our ultimate good in Christ Jesus. Say it one more time. God purposefully pursues his people with the seemingly impossible promise for his ultimate glory and our ultimate good in Christ Jesus. Let's look first at God purposefully pursues 
his people. For our time today, I'm going to give you two reasons why God pursues his people. The first is this. You don't have this in your outline, but I want you to write it down. It will be on the screen. And it's this, as we see that God, he's a God of revelation. God is a God of revelation. What that means is this, is that God speaks. God communicates. And I, I don't know if you've, if you've grown apathetic to that. I don't know if you've lost the wonder of that, but God communicates to people. God's a God of grace. And one way that we see that is that he communicates to us. He primarily communicates through his written word. Today, in his written word, we're going to look at an example of a way that in history he communicated, and that was through a manifestation of his presence. It was through what we call a theophany. Theophany is a good theological word, which just means an appearance of God to a person. Okay, so God is going to appear to Abraham and to Sarah there at their tent door. God is a God of revelation. God comes with purpose and his purpose is to communicate to us. I, do you see how special that is? I, 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 got, I really believe I grow in a sense apathetic to that God creates everything and yet he speaks to his creation. He communicates to us. Things that he doesn't have to communicate but he loves us and so he tells us. God is going to communicate here in this text today. We see that he purposely pursues Abraham and Sarah. We've seen him show himself in a, a theophany other times in Scripture. And you'll remember, I'll just name a few. There in chapter 15, we saw him uh, manifest himself through a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Have you ever seen that before? No, me either, okay? That's the way that God revealed himself there in chapter 15. He doesn't always do it the way we would do it. He's a God also of mystery, but he's a God of truth. He's not hiding. In chapter 16, God comes to Hagar and he comes to her as the angel of the Lord. Chapter 32, Jacob will wrestle with God. Keith, can I have that one? I called it. I call it in front of everybody, okay? <laughs> Jacob, Jacob wrestles God. God will appear to Moses in what? Uh, a burning bush. And to Israel, he will appear as a cloud by day and a fire by night. God reveals himself. And in this situation, he manifests himself to people. But guess why? With purpose to bring revelation, to communicate. In Hebrews chapter one, we are told that long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. We, we've seen this many times and in many ways. But in these last days, that's the days that we live in right now. In these last days, he has spoken to us how? In the son. He's spoken to us most clearly in Jesus Christ. Colossians one verse 15 says, Christ is, is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews chapter one says that Jesus is the bright radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint or the representation of his nature. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the father. We're told in the book of Revelation chapter 22 that one day, guess what? To the church, 
we're told we'll see his face. Isn't that great? God is a God of revelation. God reveals to us most clearly in Jesus Christ. As for chapter 18, God has come to Abraham and Sarah's tent to communicate to them his promised word. It's that a son will be born. His name is Isaac. God is not only a God of revelation, but secondly, God is a God of relationships. God is a God of relationships. From cover to cover, God communicates to us that he's a God who desires to dwell with his people. And once again, I ask, have you grown apathetic to this? God desires to dwell with us. He dwelt with Adam and Eve in the garden. He dwelt with uh, God's people, Israel, as he came into the temple and dwelt with them. He, He dwelt with us as Jesus Christ walked the earth. He dwells with his people now as we believe and he comes inside us and dwells within us. One day, Jesus will return. He'll make all things new. God will once again dwell with us face to face again. God is a God of relationships. Abraham should have never gotten over the joy, the mystery, or the wonder that God came to his tent and ate with him. Isn't that crazy? That God came to his tent and ate with him. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. God desires a relationship with his people. And we see that here in chapter 18. He comes with purpose. And in this text, he's received with hospitality. Keith is going to, tonight, if you come to Bible study here, he's going to be talking about hospitality and the way that Abraham received the Lord. And it's mysterious the way this happens. There are three men that come to the tent. And I don't believe that Abraham realizes that this is the Lord until he communicates that a son will be born to Sarah. It was very normal for people to call someone who they believe was important Lord with like a lowercase l. But there's a big transition that takes place and I believe it's when Abraham realizes who this is and we're told that it was the Lord speaking capital L, capital O, R, D. This is Yahweh. And what we see is great hospitality, not only to the Lord, but we see with Abraham to just people that came. I believe that chapter 13 of Hebrews, verse 2, is regarding this very situation. Chapter 18 and even the very beginning of chapter 19 with Lot. Uh, And I'll read the verse for you and you'll remember it more than likely as I read it. But we're told by the writer of Hebrews, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I believe this very text there in Hebrews is referring or thinking back upon chapter 18 and chapter 19 of Genesis. And so no matter at what point Abraham realizes that he will know by the end of this chapter that God desires a relationship with him. And we need to know today that God purposefully pursues his people for revelation and for relationship. We should not lose the wonder of that. Secondly, 
I want us to see not only does God purposely pursue his people, but with the seemingly impossible promise. Let's look at that part of our really long run on sentence. And that, that is this. He's going to come with a promise. And the promise is to Sarah. And it's what? That she's going to have a baby. We're, we've heard this story so many times. It, it's not shocking to us. We, we say, yeah, she's going to have Isaac. I was asking Lucy about this yesterday. It's not shocking to her at all. Who's Isaac's mom? Sarah. Yeah. Who's, who's Isaac's dad? Abraham. She said it's nothing. It's like, yeah, that's what the word of God says. That's what happened. Do you understand how crazy this is? It's not possible for her to have a son. And we see it here in the text. It's not just unlikely, it's impossible. When Abraham finds out this information, he finds out in chapter 17. He knew that there was an heir that would come. He knew that there was a son, but he was still believing it was Ishmael until chapter 17. And the Lord says, no, through Sarah. And you remember how how Abraham responded? He fell on his face and laughed. That's what he did. He fell on his face and he laughed. Chapter 18, Abraham sees the Lord. I don't know how many years have been between the, these two times when the Lord speaks, but it's been, it's been a while and the Lord comes and, he, and as soon as he shares this information, Sarah, who is behind them, she is in the tent, she hears this and she laughs to herself. Why? Why does she laugh? Because one reason, it appears by her comments that her and Abraham are not sexually active. That's one. The second thing is this, is that she's 90. And it says that the way of women has ceased in her life. It's not possible for her in human terms to have a baby. And yet the Lord says, communicates a seemingly impossible promise, you'll have a son this time next year. His name is going to be Isaac. Now, what I want to communicate to you is this, is I believe that not only for you, but for me, I believe there are areas in our lives where we, like Sarah, are tempted to laugh at the promises of God. You may not fall on your face before the Lord and laugh as Abraham did, but I believe for maybe all of us, in particular areas, we laugh to ourselves. I'll explain what I mean by that. See, God had promised to her a son and she doubted that that could happen. She didn't believe that could happen. It was almost a sarcastic, apathetic kind of laugh. That can't happen in my life. I wanna walk you through several areas of application. See if the Lord will use this to speak to your heart today. You'll hear people say something along these lines. God, he works through people Okay, believe this theologically. The word of God says he works through his church, through his people. He works through people, but God cannot really use me. And you say, well, I don't hear people say that. Oh, my word. Yeah, all the time. I'm too young. I'm too old. I don't know enough. I'm not ready. 
you don't know my past. You don't know what I'm like. I don't speak well. I don't communicate well. What if I do this? What if I do that? People believe, yeah, God uses people. He just cannot use me. There you are laughing to yourself. Behind him in the tent. God loves, but I'm too dirty and broken for him to love me. Am I right? I mean, is this not what happens? Is the message of the Bible not God loves you? He sent his son and yet probably many of you, you push back and you say, yeah, he loves. Oh, it's so wonderful, but, but not, it's not to be received by me. He doesn't love me because you don't know me. What about this? God forgives but he cannot forgive me. God forgives, but if you knew what the extent of my sin was. I'll get a little more personal. Those are all generic and you know, so you're, you're okay with those. But what about this? Spouse in the room. God has the power to transform lives but he cannot change my husband. He cannot change my wife. To the child in the room, God can transform any life, but he can't, he can't. You don't know my dad. You don't know my mom. You don't know my child. You don't know my brother. You don't know my sister. You don't know my coworker. He can transform lives, but just not theirs. I know what the scriptures say, but God can't really work out good for me. Somebody in the room, that's where you are. He can work out good, but you, I don't see how he's gonna do it in this situation. Church-wide, what about this? We can't really reach this community. We can't really reach the campus. God promises us, promises. I mean, he gives us promises. He promises power. He promises his presence. And yet so often we turn and in the flesh, we laugh at God. Maybe we can corporately ask this or hear God ask us, did you laugh? Did you laugh? And afraid we might all say, no, no, we didn't. We didn't laugh. And we can hear God say to us, no, but you did. But you did. Uh, Today, allow God's word to pour over you. Allow God's word to speak into your life. And hear the beautiful words of God himself say to you, is anything too wonderful? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And our answer is an eloquent nope. (laughs) Sure not. Nothing's too hard for you, God. May we believe that today. I remember a day when 
a merger seemed impossible. But, well, here we are. I remember a day in my life, salvation seemed impossible. Here I am. All of us have stories. All of you have seen God do what was impossible in your life or around you. And yet so often we back into our tent and we laugh. May we not do so today. God's here. And God's saying to us, is anything too hard for me? Everyone look at him inwardly and say, no, there's nothing's too hard for you, God. Continuing with our sentence, God purposely pursues his people with a seemingly impossible promise for his ultimate glory and our ultimate good. See, God works through the impossible. He's done this from cover to cover. Now, he may do this in human terms. He may do this in ways that are natural. I mean, it's natural to give birth. It's just not natural to give birth at 90. But God works through the impossible. And the primary reason for that is so that he gets the glory. Well, you may say, well, why is God so hungry for his glory? Because he alone deserves it. If we don't give God the glory, we sin and we give it to something else. We can't find joy in that. We can't find comfort in that. We can't find peace in giving glory to ourselves. We have to give glory to where glory's due. Praise where praise is due. It's due to the Lord. It's to him. John Piper, he, he said this phrase. I love this. He said, God works to magnify his sovereign grace and keep us in our humble place. To magnify his sovereign grace and keep us in our humble place. I think about this on Wednesday nights, we've been teaching through the book of Judges very slowly. We were in chapter seven this, this past or, or two weeks ago and looking at the story of Gideon. Gideon went and rounded up 32,000 people. That is so many. He went and rounded up 32,000 people to fight. God whittles them down to 300. 300. Why? So that it was impossible for the people of God to get the credit for what is only due to God himself. Because it wouldn't have helped them to think they did it. It would have hurt them. It doesn't help you to think that you can accomplish all by yourself. It hurts you. Because if God is who the scriptures say he is, he is a God who we need desperately. And if we need him, we need to know of our need for him. And God works in situations that shows us our need for him. So in terms of salvation, only God. Uh, let's think about, we, we need to be today humbled by the work of God to see that only God can provide us what we truly need. Salvation, only God. In terms of peace, only God. In terms of purpose, only God. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. No. The impossible becomes possible with this God.
He is able to do all that he promises and is able to work all things for the glory of himself, but also for the good of his people. How can we know this to be true? How can we believe this today? Look at the last part of our sentence. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus is how we know that God purposefully pursues his people with seemingly impossible promise for his ultimate glory and our ultimate good. It's because we can look to Jesus Christ. I want to retrace where we've been and talk a little bit about redemptive history. I want you to think about the ultimate glory of God. And we're going to say that this comes as we see Jesus Christ, God himself, die in our place and raised from the grave. I want you to think back on a seemingly impossible promise. It was given to a really young girl. Her name was Mary. Mary was told that she would have a baby. And she said, but it is not possible for I'm a virgin. How how could I be pregnant with a child? She was told for nothing will be impossible with God. Is anything too wonderful for God? John chapter 1 tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What a beautiful sentence. What a powerful sentence for our text today. God doesn't just come to our tent The text tells us there in John 1 that God came in the flesh. The word came and he tabernacled. He pitched his tent with us. Jesus came and he died in our place and he rose from the grave so that we can know without a shadow of a doubt God's for you. He's not against you. God loves you. God will provide anything you need. We see that in Christ Jesus. We know that in Christ that nothing can be too hard for God. Nothing is too wonderful for God. It's time for an Annie Ruth story. We hadn't had one in a while. Y'all know my little baby, she'll be in November. Well, Hazel will be one next week, which is crazy. And then my little Annie Ruth, she'll be four in November. So we've, we've been asking her, you know, what kind, of, what kind of birthday party you want to have? And she said, I want to have a Lion King party. You know, I'm like, wow, that, that came out, what, 20 years ago? But okay. You know, she wants to have a Lion King party. And for Annie Ruth, if you, if you have much exposure to her, you know that she... The majority of the time, she is a character from The Lion King. She's Simba a good bit of time and uh, sometimes Nala, but typically Simba. We got to work on that. But she, uh, she really wants to be Simba. And daddy is always, 
and forever, Mufasa, okay? And I can't just be Mufasa. I had to be Mufasa and speak in Mufasa voice. <laughs> and so literally every day I will, she'll say, you know, hey, let's play Lion King. And I'll say, okay. And, you know, it's like six in the morning and my eyes are red. And I'm like, all right, sure, Annie, let's play it again, you know, for the, you know, year in a row. And, and so like we start doing this and I will always mess with her and I'll say, everything the light touches. Is your, and, right, and she'll stop me every time. She'll say, stop, don't say that. And I was like, why can't I say it? It's what Mufasa said. And the other day she tells me, she said, because that doesn't happen in my new story. And I said, oh, okay. Well, what happens in your new story? She said, in my new story, Mufasa's not dead. I said, okay. She said, in my new story, there is no scar. I said, okay. That's it, baby. Let's tie in a little new heaven and new earth to this and we're gonna have a gospel message. This is good. <laughs> this is good. So I did. And, uh, you know, but, but that's it. That, that's the, if you can catch that the possible that the impossible is possible with this God. That what would appear to be a wonderful fairy tale actually comes true in scripture. That in the end of the Bible, which is the new beginning, that God actually removes because of the very power of that one born to Mary, that one dies in our place. He raises from the grave. He promises to come back. And when he returns, not only will, he, will we see his face, but he will literally remove all evil, all doubt, every concern that we have had, all of the areas of life that we think is God ever gonna work, we will see it before our eyes. There will be no more cancer, no more death, no more disease, no more rape, no more anger, no more violence, no more suffering, no more death. It'll all be gone. Every bit of it. And it's because there is nothing that is too wonderful. There is nothing that is too hard for our God. Jennifer, I'm going to ask if you'll come up. I want to end with this today. It's a plea. <laughs> and the plea is this. If you can grasp if your heart can grasp on to this, that God will do everything that we just said. He will accomplish the whole. If, if you can grasp that this morning, that he really will, for his people, he will make all things new. If you can grasp that, then this morning the Lord is telling you then you can grasp that he's working out what you need today wherever you are, whatever's going on, come to this God today. Nothing, nothing is too hard for him.